Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is Thursday, November 30th, 2023. And tonight we want to talk to you about the purpose of a bridge in a song and tie it into the unforgettable song that we heard on Sunday. So let's give a quick Google definition. The bridge is a musical passage that connects two sections of a song. For example, a bridge often connects the verse to the chorus of a song. It can also sit between the last two chorus sections to add variation. Think of it as a transitional section. Something like, I will preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, as long as you get the glory. Right? You feel it build up, and then it transitions back to the chorus. So it can be kind of a switch up, you know, in, in the pattern of the song. And sometimes it may even catch you by surprise. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it builds the song back to the chorus, which is the main part of the song. Hallelujah. But before we examine a little more about that unforgettable song, we're going to tell you the title of our message today. Come on. And it is called The Bridge of the Unforgettable Song. Amen. Yeah. So, as we examine a little bit more about that song, and we get into the bridge of the unforgettable song, let's examine the background, the setting, and the purpose and heart of the composer of that song. Because there's, you know how they make interviews about people who compose songs and start telling the, the story behind the song? Well, that's what we're going to do right now. Some, some background. Some background. This song is composed after Moses had finished speaking the words of the Torah for the second time. Mm. Now, yeah. why the second time? Because all but two men <laughs> in that generation had perished in the wilderness. Wow. It had to be given again. He just finished retelling the wonders that God worked in their deliverance from Egypt through the wilderness while sustaining them all along. He's also retelling not only his works, but all their failures through this time. Hence the reason why they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Wow. That sets some background for you, huh? Yes. So let's talk about the setting, which is quite glorious. Yeah. This song is composed as Joshua is getting ready to be commissioned as the leader of God's people. Yeah. Deuteronomy 31.14 in Booth, you can put that up in the ESV. Verse 14 says... And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in, a, in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. That's glorious. That's some kavod right there. You could think of it of a spiritual sound booth. So this is a holy moment. It's a holy moment in the tent of God while the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. This moment in which Joshua, the leader of God's people, is being commissioned to lead the people in the campaign to judge the nations for their sin and to possess the land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. This sounds pretty exciting for Joshua, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah it's time to go to war. It's time to give the holy and righteous people their inheritance. Sounds like a great ministry opportunity, doesn't it? Okay, let's continue reading then. Yeah, verse 16. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then these people will rise and um, whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they're entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I made with them. So just when the Joshua was getting excited about being in leadership, yeah. right? Like this is ministry. I finally made it. This is what was told to him. What? They're going to whore? Why, why am I being appointed to this mission? They're going to break the covenant with God and I will bring them into the land? Oh, man. How can that be, Paul? Mm. Well, the people of God are holy. But they're, they're holy and they're set apart. But they're set apart by virtue of the fact that they have been set apart by God. Yeah. However, they still have yet to walk out a process of sanctification. He set them apart. He said, you are my people. In fact, you are holy and precious to me. You are my priesthood. And then the next thing that you know is that he also says that they're going to whore, that they're going to prostitute themselves, that they're going to forsake him and break the covenant. Wow. So Joshua is going to lead these people and makes a lot more sense now why he's told several times, be strong and courageous. I mean... I would need that constant, constantly. I need it constantly, actually. The people will prostitute themselves, and he's going to bring them to inherit those promises. That sounds like a challenging job description to me. Yeah. yeah. So let's keep, let's keep going about the purpose of this song. Yeah, that's quite the setting. The purpose of the song and the heart of the composer, which is the Lord. There we go. So, so let's... let's, let's Let's have something clear. The Lord, thank you, Rob, for your participation always. Always. The Father is the composer. He composed that song. Moses wrote it, wrote it. Moses taught it. And Moses recited it. Yeah. But the Father composed it. Amen. So Deuteronomy 31 and verse 17 says, Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Wow. That's a sobering moment. We're talking about the purpose and the heart of the composer here. Before we go any further, consider the terrible consequences of being called his people while still engaging with idolatry and breaking the marriage covenant. God says that he will forsake them and hide his face from them and that they will be devoured. Just, just before we move on, because I don't know about you, but I've read those verses and, and kind of just passed by them. Like, you know, when we think about discipline, we think about a spanking on the butt and, and you know, that's, that's got discipline. Or you had a hard day, right? You had a hard day at, at, a job, at the job and, and it's difficult and, man, the father is disciplining me doing this. Well, what, what we're talking about here is that they would be devoured. That, that it would be like completely lost. We're talking about lives gone. We're talking about destruction. Yeah. This is sobering. This is an incredible, terrible reality that should be a warning because everything written in the Torah is for our instruction. That should be a warning to us 
of ever, ever, ever engaging with prostituting ourselves with other gods or others, other idolatrous activities instead of being completely faithful to our God. Yeah. Right there at the end of verse 17, it says, So that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? In those terribly difficult circumstances, God knows the temptation for the people is going to be, it's because God's not with us. It's because God has abandoned us that all these evils are happening. You see that in the verse? That God's already calling it out. He's saying, you're going to blame me because of your idolatrous actions. You're going to say, this has come upon me. The consequences are because God's not with us. God is calling every single shot from the beginning. I, I see that in my life. It gets tough, and I think that it's because God is not with me. Yeah. There's a, some fault with God in here. However, this is not the reason. God said the reason is that the idolatry and the breaking of the covenant, that is why these consequences are coming upon them. Yeah. He makes it clear, it's not because I'm not with you. I already knew these things. I'm telling you ahead of time, you're going to do them, and I'm telling you the consequences. It's because of your idolatry, your whorish behavior. Therefore, this is the purpose of the song. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. Now, therefore, man, therefore... Write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk, milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song... Remember, we're talking about the purpose of this song. This song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know, man, that's beautiful. I know what they are inclined to do even today. Before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. Our father knows the end from the beginning. And that's a very comforting thing. Knowing that after their sin, they would be tempted to say, this all happened because God is really not with us, right? He prepared a song that would not be forgotten, a song that would confront them as a witness that all along God has been with them. Yeah! Confront them as a witness of the reality, of the reason for their terrible circumstances, but not just that, a song that would also confront them with the inevitable reality of their vindication, Amen. of their restoration, yes. and of their cleansing. Amen. Not only are future circumstances, difficult circumstances, a reality, His faithfulness for His people is also a reality. He will judge, He will destroy His adversaries, and He will restore them, and He will fully sanctify them. Come on. And God says He knows their inclination. He knows so well what is in the heart of his people. He knows the idolatry and prostitution that is still to be purged out of his people, and yet he is faithful to them. The sins and wickedness of man does not take him by surprise. Notice that. Everything that the Lord is laying out, he is not surprised by this. But his faithfulness and love will always be a wonderful mystery to us. Notice that the Lord's not surprised, but the way in which he reveals this and the way in which he remains faithful, it can be a mystery to us. It can be quite a surprise to us that God would continue to love even 
through that prostitution. But not only that, he also enters into the covenant with them and the full assurance of what his people and his bride will become. He is entering into covenant and letting them know with a full assurance of who they will be. He's letting them know this is what you're going to do. This is what the result is going to be of your actions. And then this is what I'm going to do to cleanse you and sanctify you. So we know, we know that you've been studying the song of God, written, taught, and recited by Moses. So our intent is not to go through the song altogether. We're not going to go through Deuteronomy 32 altogether. However, we will highlight the character of the composer and the bridge of the unforgettable song. Our father is the perfect groom and the perfect father, the perfect leader. And when he chooses people, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's in their heart. He knows the inclination. But he also knows the surety of what will happen when he gets to work in his people. They become what he says they will become. And so in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, this is the character of our God. He says, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. He is the rock. That is, he's unshakable. You break if you stumble upon him. He crushes you if he falls upon you. He's also the only firm foundation that is worthy of us building a life upon. His work is perfect. He does not need to be amended, corrected, he doesn't need to ask for forgiveness for his mistakes. He's not taken by surprise or unforeseen circumstances for him. He is just. There is no partiality or favoritism with him. He cannot be bribed, intimidated, and he not, he's not driven by the fear of man or the fear of other gods. He is faithful and he is true. You know that he can always be counted upon if you're with him? He will not say something and not fulfill it. When he has said something, you can bet your life, your children's life, your wife's life, everything that you've got, that he will accomplish it. He is currently perfectly working to bring about his predetermined intentions for Israel and us, his people. That was one verse. verse. Oh, yeah. The first 20 verses of that song, of that uh, song, you can get, gain some more insight about the character of the composer. God found Israel in a desert land, but he surrounded Israel and guarded him as the apple of his eye. He carried them, he led them, and he fed them. But Jeshurun, Israel, uh, abandoned the God who made him, and they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. Right? We see that as you continue reading in verse 16. That is until we get to the bridge of the unforgettable song, the part of the song that connects. So what we're connecting is the idolatry and rebellion of the people with the faithfulness of God and ultimate vindication, restoration, and cleansing of the people. So if you're reading that song, first about 20 verses, you will see how idolatrous Israel uh, will be or is being at that time right? And you're seeing and you're engaging with that, but there's a bridge to that song because something happens. All of a sudden, it says God will vindicate his people when their strength is gone. He will sharpen his sword in vengeance against his adversaries. He calls the heavens to rejoice because he will avenge the blood of his children. He will cleanse his land and his people. So what happens? 
What happened here? You have a bridge in that song that connects. Man, you start with a very crude and stark reality of the, the, the idolatry that's in the people. But then you end with the culmination of what God is willing and is going to accomplish in his own people. There's a bridge to that song. Do you, know, do you want to know what that bridge is? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. It says, They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Because of the jealousy that God was provoked to, He's going to provoke Israel to jealousy. He's going to make them angry by a foolish nation. Oh, here it is. Yes. The bridge between the rebellion and the idolatry with God's cleansing, his vindication, and his restoration of the nation is that he's going to make his people jealous with a foolish nation. He's going to rise. He's going to give rise to a foolish nation that somehow there's something in that foolish nation that causes Israel to be jealous. Yeah. There's something in them. Something that, would you be foolish? Would you be jealous of somebody that's foolish? <laughs> no, no. Usually you're jealous of somebody that's got something put together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Much, much like we love Israel and we want to be like Israel, you might ask yourself, like we did, what could make a Jew jealous? I mean, the Jews are very accomplished people. In the arts, in literature, in physics, in chemistry, in medicine, investments, Nobel Prizes, you name it, they always seem to be one step ahead in their warfare. So what could make not only a Jew, but the Jewish nation jealous? It's a good question, right? Yeah. Well, we're glad you asked. Amen. We're going to answer that question today. Amen. Paul devotes the book of Romans for this purpose. This letter is written to the saints in Rome. To all who are in Rome, that's what he says. Rome is the capital of the Roman Empire. It is written to all who are in Rome, Jew and Gentile. In chapter 2, he says, if you Jew, if you call yourself a Jew, and then in many parts he's talking to Gentiles specifically. He lays out in that gospel, in, in the book, that the gospel is the salvation for all. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile, Right? He also says that God will repay distress and affliction to the disobedient, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. He also says that God will also grant glory, honor, and peace for all who do, who do good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And then in chapter 5, he presents a reality for those who are in Christos, for those who are in Christ that sets them apart from any lost Jew or Gentile. All right, turn with us to Romans chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Say bridge when you get there. Bridge. There we go. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Wow. Yes, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So as opposed to any lost man, Paul states that through Yeshua Messiah, we have obtained access to his grace. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what does it mean to have access to the grace that comes through Christ? 
Well, we were talking about this in the back. We were talking about how some of us have to use badges to scan into our workplace. You can't gain access into, into the workplace unless you have some kind of badge or something in which you can present to gain that access. You might even be able to look through the door, but you can't gain access. That's an interesting thing to think about. Those interesting words that Paul uses, we have access to gain the grace which comes through Christ. This, gr this grace that Paul is talking about, it's something that's tangible. It's something that he's experienced, something that he experienced previously to coming in or didn't experience previously to coming into Christ. What he's saying here is, I didn't have access before. Now I have access through Christ. And it's not some hypothetical force. It's not an imaginary energy or a state of mind. It's something that he's saying, no, we have access to it, and we stand upon this grace. So what struck us when we're reading through this is that that's not how we would use that word. I mean, I, I talk about the grace of God. You know, it is the power to say no to ungodliness, but it's still a little bit of a, a hypothetical thing to me, like, like the grace. Would I ever say I have access to this grace? Wow. Would I ever say that I stand on this grace? That there, there's something that I can actually access, this grace that empowers me. That, that that was, Paul is saying that that was not available to him before he knew Christ. This Jew, this Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, knew the Torah back and front, everything he knew it. Zealous, as all get out, this Jew is saying, hey, now you who are in Christ, you have access to this grace. Come on. You have access, there's something that you get to come into and be empowered by, because through Christ you have gained that. So in Romans 5.17, he says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, wow, the abundance of grace, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Christ Jesus. Death reigns in the man that is not in Christ, period. That man is in his sins. He's not cleansed of his sins, and he does not have reconciliation with the Father. However, through Christ, through Yeshua, not only do we have access to the grace in which we stand, we have actually an abundance of grace, according to Paul. <laughs> and this abundance of grace is for one purpose. It's not for you to feel good about yourself to say that you're in Christ and it's, and it's the grace of God that covers you when you mess up. No, it's not that. This grace is so that you may reign in life. Amen. It's grace to reign. It's grace to actually carry out the dominion mandate. It's grace to actually carry out the authority that God has bestowed upon these children because he wants his dominion expanded. Death no longer reigns in us. Just the opposite. We actually reign in life. That is what Paul is getting at when he says, you have access to this grace and it was not available to you before you entered into Messiah. Come on. There's something beautiful that we found in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, for from, him, from, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon, upon grace sounds like abundance of grace to me, Grace. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
But it is from Yeshua's fullness we have received grace upon grace. You see that? It is from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. We want to talk to you about this word fullness in the Greek. Sambuth, you got a slide for us? There it is. We're just, we're just going to say it how it is. Pleroma. Pleroma. Okay, it's the Greek 4137. It's repletion or completion. What fills as in content, supplement, copiousness, or a multitude, or what is filled as in a container, performance, or a period, as in a period of time, which is put in to fill up a piece that filled up, fulfilling full fullness. You got, you got, got it. it. You Good. Got it. That's a pleroma of fullness right there. Yeah, it's a pleroma of his life. So from Yeshua's fullness, we have access to an abundant grace for the purpose of ruling and reigning in life. This was the original mandate for man and for the Jews, which that is their priesthood. That they are the holy nation to rule and to reign and to lead the nations to do the same. Amen. So, do you think that jealousy would be stirred in a Jew when he sees a Gentile that is walking in the calling they're supposed to fulfill? I think so. If you see a Gentile walking in the fullness of what God said they would walk in, I think that would make a Jew jealous. Oh, I think that you, you don't need to take my word for it. We're going to continue reading in Romans chapter 8. So it's funny because we, sometimes we talk about making the Jews jealous. And of course this becomes, we, we know this, we know this is what's supposed to happen. But ask yourself if anybody around you is jealous for the lifestyle that you have. Ask yourself if, when people look at your family, they're jealous of what you have. When people look at your wife, they're jealous of what you have. When your people look at the authority that you walk in, they're jealous of the fullness of the authority that you walk in. You know, we, the fact is that there's something in there. Why, how are we going to stir up a, a people who are already satisfied? How are we going to stir up a people that know, that think they know it all, right? How? Well, there's got to be something in there, so we're coming into the fullness. Um, Paul is on a roll on the letter to Rome. And in chapter 8, he's going to lay out the goal. Come on. Although the present life carries with it many sufferings, particularly if we are righteous, <laughs> this is what he says in Romans 8, verse 18. Say fullness when you get there. Fullness. It says... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, who, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So not only do we have present access to this abundant grace to rule and reign in life. Paul said in here, the entire scripture testified to this, that there is glory. There is glory to come. There is so much glory to be revealed in us. Creation right now, right now, is longing, has birth pains. Right now, it's being subjected to futility. To decay, but it awaits for the day when the sons of God are revealed. Yeah. When the sons of God are fully revealed, creation itself 
will be set free from its bondage to decay. It will be brought into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. So the question then becomes, if the goal is the redemption of all creation, how in the world do we get there? What do we have to do? What has to happen? Again, I'm glad you have so many questions today because we're going to answer them. Amen. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. You can hear themes of Deuteronomy 32 there. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? This is incredible. It's incredible that Paul is writing this letter and he's speaking to the church in Rome and he specifies Gentiles. I am speaking to you. Oh, come on. Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. There is a reason why I magnify my ministry among you. If their trespass and failure have meant riches for you, if their rejection has meant reconciliation for you, how much more will their full inclusion and acceptance be? It will be life from the dead. Saints, this is what we as Gentiles can can hang our hat on. This is what we can say, yes, okay, I understand now that there's something for me to do. And this is what brings about life from the dead. The Greek word for full inclusion is pleroma. It does mean their full inclusion and acceptance, but it also means so much more than that. These are other instances that Paul uses the word pleroma. You may not be able to see that, so I'll read it to you. Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Who's the him? Jesus. Jesus. Colossians 2, 9 through 10, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Ephesians 1, 23, the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. Ephesians three nineteen, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mm. And Ephesians four thirteen, until we... All attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Caleb Brown. The fullness of the Jews will mean their full inclusion. Okay? It's a description of the quantitative aspect of their inclusion, but it's so much more than that. It's not just a number. It's a description of the quality of their inclusion. It is how they are being filled up with Christ. So the pleroma of Israel is when they become the fullness of the reality of what they are meant to be. When Israel reaches this pleroma, when Israel reaches their fullness, it will mean life from the dead. They are also intended to be his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
They are also intended to be the fullness of God and the fullness of Christ. When that occurs, Romans 8 will be fulfilled. And all creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and enter into the freedom of the sons of God. This is a glorious reality. And notice that Paul is very specific. I'm talking to you, Gentiles. Hey, perk up your ears. I'm talking to you. When this happens, you will have resurrection power. When this happens, you will have life from the dead and the redemption of all creation. What are you working for, Gentiles? So the question becomes, if the goal is the redemption of all creation, and that is achieved by Israel becoming the fullness, the pleroma, of all that is in God's purpose, God's heart, God's design for them. How do we get there? How do we get there, Paul? I'm glad you asked again. Come on. <laughs> that is why there is a bridge to this unforgettable song. Let's go to Romans 11, and we're going to pick up in verse 25. Come on, y'all tracking with us. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Saints, the bridge to this unforgettable song is the fullness of the Gentiles. And there is a quantitative aspect to this word, as we heard. But it is more than that. It is a qualitative statement describing the fullness of the reality of what Gentiles are meant to be. His body the fullness of him who fills all in all, the fullness of God and the fullness of Christ. The fullness of the Gentiles is necessary for the fullness of Israel to occur and ultimately for the redemption of all creation. Amen. Wow. Yes. Understanding this progression that Paul worked so hard to key us to understand and it's why Paul gets so pastoral in these next couple chapters. Some might say he became a little less theological and got really practical here. So we're going to go through some verses starting in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to talk about this mystery of the Gentile inclusion. So you probably have been reading Romans as well. Because Arising is studying Romans. And we are preaching on Romans. And you realize that after Paul is pondering the beauty of God's salvation plan, right? That after, that it was first for the Jews, but through the rejection, we, were, we received riches and salvation. But now through the mercy shown to us, now they receive mercy. Yeah! And through the mercy they receive, they become the fullness of what they're supposed to be. And the world achieves its intended purpose. Amen. Paul is just astounded as he's contemplating the salvation uh, plan and purpose of God. And that's why we know that he breaks into a song, right? Yeah. Oh! oh! He breaks into a song because the wisdom of God is so unfathomable. As Imagine him as a Jew. How he's, he's coming to terms with this. He's coming to understand the salvation plan of God. Now he's preaching it and he's living it out. And now he's magnifying his ministry among the Gentiles that will cause his people to be jealous as they grow into the fullness of God. 
That is the purpose of Paul's ministry. He's hitting it hard. That's why he's working harder than all the other apostles because he has his goal in mind. And then understanding the progression makes so much sense now to everything that Paul is working for and that Paul is writing in this book. The fullness of the Gentiles is necessary for the fullness of Israel to occur. And the fullness of Israel needs to occur for the ultimate redemption of the entire creation. We need it. And after pondering that mystery, and he breaks into a song, he tells us something key in Romans 12. In Romans 12, 1 to 2, he says, I appeal to you, Therefore, Therefore. He, is not, he hasn't lost track of what he has just spoken about. No. He's on a roll and he had a purpose for everything that he has just said. Yeah. Now, therefore, yeah. because of this great plan of salvation of mine, because of all the things that God is doing among the Jews and the Gentiles and the final redemption of all creation, he says, brothers, by the mercies of God, the mercy is shown to you and the mercy that you need to show the Jews yeah. to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yeah. Do not be conformed to this world. There's no time for that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, since you have these things in mind, since you know that it is the fullness of the Gentiles that's necessary to bring about the fullness of the Jewish nation, to bring about the redemption of all creation, and in view of this subject, in view of that plan, in view of God's mercy, then offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Then do not be conformed. Do not dare to be conformed. Do not dare to be slowed down. To look at the world and say... Yeah, that kind of looks appealing. Do not be conformed instead. Be absolutely transformed into the fullness of what a Gentile is supposed to be. Let's be transformed into the fullness of what we, a Gentile group, a foolish nation, are supposed to be. We're to be transformed into that fullness. And so Paul, in his wisdom, has laid out the background, the foundation for everything that he's going to speak from this chapter on. And that's why he gets so practical and pastoral. Because now he starts telling us what the fullness of the Gentiles looks like. He has just laid out all the theological background to now tell you this is what you must do. This is what a Gentile group of believers that are reaching the fullness of what they're meant to be. This is what you look like. Listen to me, O Gentiles. This is what they look like. And so we have a slide for you. Another slide. Come on. So in Romans 12, verses 3 through 10, we can sum it up by saying that we must love sincerely and honor each other as parts of the same body. That is to say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Have sober judgment about yourself. We are one body and we belong to one another. Love must be sincere. Tell you right now, that is being worked out in my life and in my home right now. Love must be sincere. We ought to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know that what we have there is just some titles, seven aspects of what we saw in the Word on those chapters. 
of what, what Paul then starts admonishing the people to become, Gentiles to become. And so in the first one, he's actually pastoring them. He's saying, you will not make any Jew jealous if you have that kind of selfish ambition. You will not make any Jew jealous if you're not sober about where you stand first before you go and preach to them. You know, division, there's division in the world. You're not supposed to be conformed to that. The one place in which there should be unity is in the body of Christ. Amen. We are one body and we belong to one another. Amen. So instead of, instead of chiding on each other, how about we honor each other? Yeah. Love must be sincere. Meaning, uh, there's no strings attached. It doesn't matter if you do wrong to me. My love for you will be sincere. Come on. We ought to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devoted. Yeah. Devotion happens face to face. Devotion happens real time. Devotion happens with all your heart. Devotion happens with actual practical examples of working for the other person. Yeah. Paul is admonishing these people to reach the fullness of what they're supposed to be. Not by simply theological thoughts that has been laid out. Now he's telling them this is how practically you will be and how you, practically you look like the fullness of what you're supposed to be. Yeah. So Romans 12, 11 through 12, he's talking about being zealous, joyful, patient, and prayerful. Constant, a constant pursuit in service to the Lord. A joy that overflows with an expectation of what God promised would happen. A patient and steadfast, especially in, afflict in afflictions, and to develop a faithfulness in your prayer life. And I can tell you right now, for me, that's, that's outwardly focused. I'm not talking about developing your prayer life and what you need. I'm talking about developing your prayer life for others. Roman, Romans 12, 13 talks about being hospitable. We, we were joking about this in the back. You could think of hospitable of just welcoming someone into your home, but anybody could do that. Being hospitable is actually somebody coming into your home and feeling welcome and feeling like they're being served. It's exercising. He says, practice hospitality. Work this out. Don't just do it once a month. Work this out daily in your home. Do you need to invite people in to be hospitable? Yes, but do you actually need to do that to be hospitable to others in your home? No, you don't. Not just opening your home, but practicing a welcoming servanthood. Why, why is hospitality so important? Because your home, our, my home, is meant to be the place where the kingdom dwells. Yeah. Where the, where if, we're talking about the fullness of the Gentiles because we have access to this grace to rule and reign the first place where that ruling reign should be exerted in is my home. Amen. And being hospitable brings people in into the reality of the kingdom of God inside my own home. Amen. The fourth one, Romans 12, is from Romans 12, 14 through 21 and 13, 8. We have titled it, Love Their Neighbors and <laughs> Their Enemies. <laughs> you know, this is not an easy thing. To bless to bless. And not curse. To bless those that persecute you. You know that we fail, not, not when we're persecuted, but just when somebody says something bad about us. When they look at me wrong, it's hard for me to bless. I mean, they haven't done anything. They might be my own imagination. Yet, I'm already, it's already hard for me to bless. Bless and do not curse, actually what? 
live in harmony with one another. Do not avenge yourselves. Do not take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. And you know what? If you see, if you have enemies, because we're bound to have enemies if you're being righteous, feed him if he's hungry. If he's thirsty, you know what? Instead of withholding water from him, give him some to drink. Maybe that mercy that has been shown to you, maybe that will cause something in that enemy of yours. Romans 13, he talks us about being submissive to authorities. You know that a person that's not submissive to authority has no place in authority either. A person that is not submissive to authority does not have a place in authority either. This is both in the world. Hey, if your boss is a butt, still requires submission. In the kingdom, and we have great pastors. And in the home, submission to authority is everywhere. And Paul is describing, you want to reach the fullness of the Gentiles? You have to do it like this. Submission to authority, because when you submit to authority, who are you ultimately trusting? The Lord. Uh, You can feel the bridge speeding up here. Romans 14 and 15, we titled it, Bear with One Another for Their Mutual Edification. We're talking about acting on deep convictions and living by the convictions that are based from the word. Talking about bearing with one another for mutual edification. We're not just bearing with one another because we have to. We're bearing with one another. We're being patient with one another. We are laying down our life for one another so that they might be built up. So if you think you are strong, then bear with the weak instead of becoming a stumbling block for them. I'll tell you right now, I'm learning what it means to bear with others' shortcomings. I've been shown mercy. Men in this house have showed me mercy and have bared with me in my own shortcomings. And the Lord is teaching me how to do the same. Romans 15.5, to wrap up this list, says, In harmony with one another, with one mind, and with one voice. God has given us an abundance of endurance and encouragement so that we live in harmony with one another. In everything that we do, we're striving for unity. I can tell you right now, when people walk into this house and they see the unity in this house, they want to be a part of that house. It provokes them to jealousy. Saints, we ought to be striving for unity and for harmony with one another. We're going to go to Romans 15, 25 through 27. We're almost there, saints. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. They are obligated to it. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. We can't possibly dig into how much this was blessing us, but if you would like to, come and talk with us about it, and we'll go deeper into it. Gentiles share in Jews' spiritual blessings, and it is time for Gentiles to be the bridge that is the fullness of a Gentile for the Jews. Every material thing. 
not just constrained to our possessions or our money. It's the fullness of our very lives. A bridge. We become a bridge by offering up our very lives for the Jews to reach their fullness. Well, you've heard us for 48 minutes now. And, um, and you may be asking yourself, well, what do we do? We've given you a roadmap because there's a song in Deuteronomy 32 that states God's plans, that God is not taken by surprise. There is, there is difficulty ahead, but He has already proclaimed the end from the beginning. You have learned that the bridge to that song is the fullness of a Gentile people that actually, because they're operating in the fullness of the, what they're meant to be, they actually make the Jewish nation jealous. Because they're operating in the calling that the Jewish nation will need to operate in, and even greater, that makes the nation jealous. That is what Paul used to magnify his ministry. That's what he thought about. He's, he said he would lay down his life for them. But he couldn't. He did it every day, but he couldn't put himself in an altar and sacrifice himself. So what he did is he did that, what being a living sacrifice. So from Romans 12, he exhorts the Gentiles to do the same thing that he's already doing. He tells them, be a living sacrifice that is not conformed, but is transformed. Because that is the only way that you will ever make a Jew jealous. It's only when you operate in the fullness of your calling... That I will cause somebody to say, what is in you? What is different inside of you? Because we have the same scriptures, but they don't know that you have the fullness of Yeshua inside of you. Paul is saying that with that in mind, with the, with the, with the redemption of creation in mind, with the redemption of the Jewish nation and their full inclusion and their fullness, then rise up. To become the fullness of the Gentiles. Amen. Rise up to become the fullness of what Christ prayed the highest, the highest price for you. He says that we have access. Access into a grace like you can take hold of it. As if it's something tangible. He says, I, a Jew, have gained access to it. And not only access, an abundance of grace that is available to us. Amen. So that we would reign in life. And so Paul in Romans 15, 29, which is our last passage, he says, I know, I know that when I come, when I come to you, I will not come with my own words. I will not come with my own good intentions. I will not come with my own psychology and my own good things and good intentions. No, I will come. In the fullness, in the pleroma of the blessing of Christ. Amen. Paul is preaching a message and he's living it out. Paul is saying the fullness of Christ, that is the fullness of God that was available to Christ. is the fullness of Christ that is available to you. And Paul is walking in that fullness and he's saying, Gentiles, rise up. Rise up. Elevate yourself. Elevate your thoughts. Lift up your eyes. And take hold of the grace that is available to you for you to walk in the fullness of that grace and in the fullness of the design that God has predestined for us. 
We know this path. It's been laid out for us. And so what he's telling us today is if you are in Christ, which you are in Christ and you know Christ and he has paid for you and he has brought you near and he has revealed himself to you, you also have access to this fullness. We as a body, because that slide was not about one person, we as a body have access to that fullness. Amen. We as a people, as a Gentile people, we have access to that fullness if we are in Christ. Amen. So rise up, Come Gentiles. Let's stand up. So, we, uh, so I was, as we were putting this message together, there's excitement because there's, we're the bridge of that great and unforgettable song. Because the fullness of the Jews does not come to pass unless there's a fullness of the Gentiles. And so it's both exciting and it's deeply convicting if you have not taken full hold of that grace. But what we're telling you today is that that is available for us. That there's, there's no place for low expectations. There's no place to wait for doing what you need to do another day. Paul laid down his life as a Jew for the Gentiles. <laughs> we ought to follow his example. In becoming the fullness of what he laid down his life for. So that we would also bring about the fullness of his people. Amen. If you're looking at that list personally and saying, how would I become the fullness of Christ? What we're telling you today is that that grace is accessible to us. If at any point in time, and Marlon gave me a word of this in worship. If at any point in time you feel like you're lacking, you had to access that grace. There's abundant grace to be accessed. If you're lacking in the authority in your own home, so that when people come into your home, they don't really feel the kingdom of God, there is access to that authority and to that kingship that is upon our shoulders. If among us, if among us, we're struggling with unity, how will we ever bring the world into unity in Christ? No, he's telling us we have access to that grace. We have access to the grace that empowers us to love one another deeply and sincerely. We have access to the grace that allows us to think of ourselves soberly so that we will not be judging others unrightfully. Let me tell you how important the grace is that we're trying to access. Do y'all love Nick Arizina? You love Judah Stevens? Yeah. Imagine that I was a good father. You have to stretch reality a little bit to get to that. But imagine it. And because of the sinful soil of Judah's heart, he found himself far from his God and from his father. Imagine that. Because it happened. And then I took a son that was not my son. And began to treat him exactly like he was. And something began to form in him. That caused Judah to become jealous. 
And the two of them came into a new place in Christ together and can only achieve their actual purpose together. That is our relationship to Israel. I'm going to do this quickly, and then we're going to minister at the altar. It was a fantastic... I've waited my whole life to hear a word like this from disciples. I'm going to give you three mysterious passages fast. I'm going to try. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages. Do you all like mysteries? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When he's talking about accessing grace, you know what he's talking about? Christ being fully formed in you. See, as Christ was fully formed in Nick Eregina, as as we grew, as he grew, Judah wanted something he saw and knew he could have it because he's always been a son. You see what's happening there? This starts with Christ developed in you. Got to turn that page right there. Another mystery. You ready? Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Nick had no idea that he would be a partner with Judah and Judah with him and all future ministry. He was just happy to have the opportunity to be developed himself. But as Christ grew in him, it provoked something in Judah. And the truth is, they are partakers in the same calling. Am I stretching a metaphor too far or do you get it? One more mystery. That beautiful bridge. Romans eleven twenty-five. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. What if, without Nick coming into the fullness of his relationship with the Lord, getting baptized in the Spirit, becoming hungry for Christ being formed in him, what if it was always God's design to use Nick to bring Judah into the maturity that he was supposed to have from the beginning? What if... The two of them had no idea, but it was the only way to complete the plan of God for their lives. It's a great mystery. But it starts with Christ being formed in you. Get out of your head that that happened at salvation. He was conceived in you at salvation. He should be growing in you by access to that abundant grace. It started with Moses, grace upon grace, But it's been being revealed and is perfected in Christ. So that they are not actually two. They're one in Christ. You get Christ formed in you rightly. And you will become one with the people that are around you. You'll be able to say we want you outside to have fellowship with us. Because our fellowship is with the Father. That makes people jealous. Wives, 
I said I wouldn't speak long, but it's only 59 minutes. <laughs> Wives, I know what it is to watch three women. It's really funny. Christy and Cassidy did not like each other. Now they love each other because Christ has been formed in them. Jennifer and Christy thought that they loved each other. Then they started to work together and resented each other until Christ was formed in them. Now they're one. Look, see, some of the husbands are out there looking like, I can't react to this. I'm, I'm standing right next to you. Christ has to be formed in us. Don't act like you're already there. You're not. Something has begun, and it must continue. The passages from Romans 12 forward, the seven things that determine the fullness of the Gentiles, every one of them Christ perfected. Every one of them we still fall short in, and we have to make progress. Okay? We're going to open up into song. Your heart's cry, your actual drive has got to be for Christ to be formed in you in a way that the evidence is all around you and people want what you have. Okay? That's not done through systematic theology. That's not done through church attendance. That's done through him actually being formed in you in a way that you start to become indistinguishable from him to where you would lay down your life for your brothers because he's in you and it's what he does. Paul and Carlos are going to pray. You all still have mics? Yes, sir. And you are going to respond. Hey, there's no magical distance between you and this altar. That's not it. Do you remember what an altar is for? Something dies so that something can live. You should be finding, I'm going to start with animosity among the females in this room. If you're on a team and you don't love the other women on the team with an undying love, that's got to die right here so that Christ can live in you when you get up from here. Now, it's not ladies alone. Men, you should beat them to the altar. If you don't look to the interest of your brothers before you ever consider your own interest, you're a selfish pig and that needs to die. And when that dies here, then another piece of Christ can be formed in you and you can rise to become more than a pig. I'm suggesting very practical actions. And some of the most proud in this room, you love to put your hands in reverent places and stand stoically. That'll get you nowhere with God. And he's not impressed with your suits. He's not impressed with your attitudes. He's impressed with your death that he might live in you. Y'all pray. I'm done. Father, we thank you for this gift, Lord. God, the grace upon grace, the abundance of it that has been poured out and that we have been given access to. God, we don't want to be guilty of rejecting what you have offered to us and the privilege to participate in your plan, Lord. God, you are making us more and more into your likeness as we surrender ourselves before you, as we submit ourselves and we come to a realization of where we're actually at. God, that you have given us the reality of your word and that we are included as we die to ourselves, as we become that bridge for others, as we are willingly laying down our lives. Father, would you crush right now every bit of animosity? Lord, would you crush right now that selfish ambition inside of my own heart, Lord God? And I know that you're doing it in this body. 
Father, we say thank you for the unity that you desire and that you are working into us, that we might be your people, that we would live in harmony, and God, that we would look more like you and provoke your people to jealousy to look like you. God, we love you, and we give you glory in Jesus' name.